Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Cecilia Parker-Arana, Director of Consumer Protection at the Competition Markets Authority. Cecilia, thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me, Gemma. Now, we have been following um, your work quite closely, Michelle and I, um, because you recently introduced the Green Claims Code, which came into force at the start of January this year. Um, I guess by way of introduction for those listeners who perhaps don't know, could you tell us a bit about the work the CMA do, please? Certainly. So the the Competition and Markets Authority is the the leading competition law and consumer protection law enforcer in the UK. So we have a, a range of different tasks that we carry out. It's our job to make sure that markets are working well. Uh, for consumers. Um, we examine mergers um, to, to make sure that there's um, uh, competition in, in markets where mergers are taking place. And then from my point of view, most importantly, we um, examine whether or not businesses are complying with consumer protection law. So the Green Claims Code, as we said, which came into force in January, is is really there to um, to protect consumers um, against uh, those organisations that are using green claims. Um, we've seen the rise of, of greenwashing um, and in everywhere you look, there seems to be something on there around greenwashing. So I guess the Green Claims Code came into force. Um, what what drove the CMA to, to start taking this action around um, the greenwashing and the, and the green claims are being, being made? Well, I think it's it's clearly the case that climate change and environmental issues are are rapidly rising up the agenda um, everywhere, and that's true for consumers. Um, and we had observed an increase in the number of green claims that we were being made. We had observed an increase in the demand for products which are seen as being sustainable. Um, and, and there's obviously an incentive there for businesses to um, be seen to be green without actually being being green. Um, it was so it, it was an area where we thought it was important for us to really start to get to grips with it. Uh, it became clear that a lot of businesses were trying to do the right thing, but weren't necessarily sure um, what that was. Um, and there were also um, anecdotal um, reports of businesses who were not saying anything about their sustainability for fear of being accused of greenwashing. And so as much as protecting consumers, we actually wanted to level the playing field a bit, make sure that businesses uh, um, know what's expected of them um, and, and give businesses who are, who are genuinely trying to be sustainable um, the confidence to tell customers about it. And that's a good point you make there, Cecilia, around a lot of organisations and businesses not talking about the things that they were doing because this, there's this term green hushing, you know, regardless of green washing, the green hushing, that they were frightened to, you know, talk about what they were doing for fear of being positioned as green washing. So, We've looked quite extensively at the Green Claims Code, Gemma and I. In fact, we did a webinar about it with the Chartered Institute of Marketing. And, and there, it, it, if everything that chimes, you know, if organisations were following those six key points that you put out as to checking what their claims uh, look like and are validated, um, then ideally organisations shouldn't be greenwashing. And of course, it's a wonderful opportunity for those organisations that are doing good things to be 
talking about what they're doing in a, in a concerted and authentic and honest way that is beneficial to, to, to their business. But of course, I suppose the question that we keep coming back to is, it's a little bit like, I suppose, GDPR when it was first introduced, you know, the intention was, was, solid but it, it was almost the the application and the um policing of that policy pretty difficult what where do you see the challenge arising with this with regards for the cma enforcing the green claims code on on organizations is it is it something that's going to really have some teeth and drive some meaningful change do you think well, so I certainly hope it does. That's why we've why we've yeah. come up with the code is to try and drive that change. I think there are a few challenges for us. One is that um, greenwashing, or at least the making of green claims, um, is something that is happening in every sector of the economy. Um, and with the best will of the world, will in the world, we do not have the have the resources to to investigate every single business. And so, a lot of what we're trying to do is to focus on areas where. Um, we think there are big concerns um, where during the course of our, our work to date, we've been told there are problems. And we hope that by focusing on those sectors, we'll, we'll be able to secure changes there, um, but that that will also set an example and, and give other businesses a better idea of how to, to comply in future. Um, for now, we're focusing on the fashion sector, but we're, we're very much um, thinking about where to go where to go next. Um, and, and this is an area that we expect to be working on for, for several years um, with the hope of really driving, driving that change. Um, I think um, another challenge um, for us is obviously with it being across all sectors, there are, there are nuances to every sector and the science behind the claims that are being made um, is different across every sector. So there's a, a sort of an upskilling piece for us as well to, to make sure that, we, um, that we're on top of the, the, the evidence. It's it's um it's a big big piece of regulation, isn't it? And in, in interestingly, just this week, in the last two days, in fact, um, I've seen on my LinkedIn feed that uh, there's websites that are now kind of dedicating themselves to calling out greenwashing. So greenwash.com is a website that I saw this morning that is um, focusing too on the fashion industry, and it was set up by um, Changing Markets Foundation. And also there is circularfashiondetective.com. So do you think, is there any sort of, um, I guess, way that the CMA can work with certain organizations or websites that are, are the people behind these websites that are, um, are, are focused on, you know, raising the tension for consumers out there where greenwashing is happening? I mean, I, I certainly think that, um, that, Consumer activists do have a, a big role to play um, in this, and and I had I had seen greenwash.com, which um, uh, I thought was great, um, and I'm aware that that there are um, a growing number of consumer activists who are using mechanisms available to them to report problems that they're that they're seeing. So, for example, maybe if they see an ad, an advert they they think is greenwashed, they'll they'll make the effort to to report that to the relevant authorities. Um, so yeah, I mean, we we talk to a lot of different um, different groups about the work that they're they're doing, and um, we're open to anybody reporting problems into us. Um, what you know, whether or not they're from uh, they're an individual consumer or they're from an, an organisation like Changing Market uh, Markets Foundation. 
And, and and is that the process, Cecilia? Could you could you just talk through and give us a little bit of insight as to what people practically do? I mean, I follow um, a couple of uh, accounts on Instagram. I love the green wash my balls. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's 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 they are very uh, open and uh, and clear and and uh, honest about the things that they throw up. But I have to say, it's very educational. I find it really useful to to see the cases that they're. That, they're, that they are bringing to light. Um, so what do people do? What, what do these activists, what do, do I as a consumer do? If I, I mean, I, I do have rare, rare, often rants with organisations on Twitter where they're saying their products are 100% recycled. And I'm saying, you know, that's absolutely not correct. Um, but so what, what would people do? Where do they, how do they go about making the challenge? So I think there's a couple of different things you can do. Um, if you want to get really activist, then um, as you do, calling calling people out and actually contacting the businesses to um, to challenge what they're saying is one thing you can do. Um, you can report things into us. Um, now, because of the way we work, because we're trying to shift a whole sector, if you complain to us, we won't necessarily take on your individual complaint. But what it does is it helps us build, build the, the intelligence picture yeah. and it tells us where to focus our, our attention. Um, so that's another thing you can do. And then the other thing you can do is use the use the Advertising Standards Authority um, and, and report um, any any issues into them because they um you know they are very focused on sustainability as well this this year and um and have had a number of decisions out recently on on uh, advertising complaints, um uh, you know about different by different products. So that's that's the kind of the third route. So how how does your relationship work with the ASA then? So the Advertising Standards Authority, um, they are um, a self-regulatory body, obviously. It's, they're not a sort of a government department. Um, but um, we have a very close working relationship with them because their codes um, uh, mirror, um, to, to a degree, the, the consumer protection legislation that we're enforcing. Now, um, typically they will focus... Um, uh, or they do focus sort of purely on advertising, whereas we have a, have a broader remit to, to look beyond advertisers and we can we can look at different elements of the supply chain we can do, look at different commercial practices that aren't necessarily advertising um, uh, but we do talk to them all the time work very closely with them we exchange information um, if, if uh, you know if, if we or they receive a complaint that we think the other would be interested interested in um, and from a from a legal perspective they are considered as a um, a, a recognised means of enforcing consumer protection law. So sometimes um, we will um, refer matters to them and ask them to, to investigate them, um, which can sometimes be a quicker route than, than going down the, the processes that, that we have where we have to go through a, a court investigation. And for those organisations that are um, doing things in a positive way. So they're not greenwashing. They, they're green hushing right now because they're worried about greenwashing. Um, the competition, the, you know, the Green Claims Code, that as it's set out, gives some really clear uh, lines of what people can and can't do. And for those organisations now that are maybe feeling a little bit braver about coming forwards, is there a kind of sense checking process for them to... To, it, it, I, I don't know, you know, I haven't seen that as coming out of the, the CMA or around the Greens Claims Code. Would it be, who, is, is there a kind of, is this okay? Are we greenwashing if we say this? Or is it is it just the fact that 
if they can substantiate their claims, if they can follow the lines of, of the guidance, then that should be enough for them to, to go out and, and have the confidence that what they're saying is, isn't going to be positioned as, as greenwashing. So following all of those aspects, but, but the sense checking is, is going to have to be done internally by the rigour of looking at those, the lines that you've set to ensure that um, they're meeting those. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, it is a sort of an internal sense check. And of course, if businesses, although I appreciate small businesses don't always have the money to do it, but you, you can go and get legal advice and, and get a lawyer to, to look things um, things over for you. But I think working your way through the um, through the principles, I think having that evidence is key. And the thing I'm, I, I always say to businesses is, you know, start with the evidence that you, the evidence that you have, yeah. um, rather than thinking about how you prove a claim you want to make, start with the evidence you have and figure out what claims you can make based on on that. Um, and then I think the other thing is um, where you can really think about how the information might be received by customers. Um, because it's, in, it's entirely possible to give people um, information that is factually correct, but still um, exaggerate um, the, the, you know, what, what it actually means. So um, really think about how your customers might understand the information that you're, that you're giving them. Um, and I think if you can do those, those two things following through on the principles, then, then you're in good shape. I think, so for anyone looking who, who downloads the, the Green Claims Code and really breaks out the different parts of it and then gets an understanding of it, there's there's making your claims in your campaigns uh, or on your website, but then there's also, um, I guess, the claims that you make on behalf of part of your product, say the packaging, which is actually not made by you as the organization, but from a third-party supplier. And then there are also claims about hitting future sustainability targets. So we will be you know, carbon neutral by this point, or we will be greener by this point, or however they want to make them. So there, there are two other parts I think that some organizations may overlook. They may just think it's what they say on the bottle or what they say on the packaging or what they say on the campaign. So what, how should, um, what do they need to expect or what do they need to be aware of in relation to those third party suppliers and also future if they're, you know, they're planning for the future? So I think there's a couple of different things on on the third party suppliers. Um, it's the case that um, if you are a business who is um, making claims that are ultimately seen by a consumer, you can be responsible for those claims, and that's true whether you are the retailer selling the kind of the the final product, um, or whether you are producing something further further up the supply chain um, that is ultimately being seen by by consumers. Um, now, the way the CMA will work, we'll always look to try and tackle the issue at the most logical point in the process. So if, if, um, if a, a supplier, for example, is, um, is making claims on a package that's ultimately sold by a range of different retailers, it obviously makes sense for us to, to look at what the supplier is doing. But from a legal perspective, um, anybody that's responsible for passing that message on to, to consumers um, can be held responsible. So I think if you're a business that's buying things in from suppliers, um, and again, I appreciate that they're not always forthcoming with, with information, but really trying to, to do your due diligence and check whether um, they have the evidence to back up what they're saying is, is, um, is key. The future, um, the future looking piece is an interesting one. And I, I don't know if you'll have seen um, uh, um, you know, various adverts where people are talking about um, 
uh, you know, their, their plans to hit net zero. Um, there's obviously the, the race to net zero for a lot of companies. Um, and what we've said in the guidance, and I think what we would be looking for for any business making um, a claim about what they are intending to do from a, a forward-looking perspective is to is to be able to demonstrate that you have clear plans in place for how you're going to achieve that. If you're saying we're going to hit net zero in 2030, um, but actually you've not got a, a series of plans in place, or maybe your plan consists of um, just a lot of carbon offsetting that you're going to do at the very last minute, um, then, then that's probably not going to be good enough to, um, to prove that that claim is true. If you've got a clear series of, of steps mapped out, um, that show how you're working with your supply chain, that show how you are working with your um, physical premises, if you have them, um, that, that really focus on um, the, the different steps you're taking to reduce your, your carbon impact as much as possible. Um, and then you're also explaining to people what offsetting you will be doing, um, then, then that's much less likely to be misleading for consumers because they can see that you've genuinely got a plan in place to, to reach um, net zero. I think the challenge arises there where you've got big brands. Um, there was a thread I was party to last week on LinkedIn and and, um, and it was quite interesting because this big brand was making a claim about their, uh, their, their bottles becoming 25% refillable, um, that this, this was what they were going to be using. But of course, 75% of what they were doing was, was not being addressed. And when you look at the scale and the volume of that, the claim that this is what we're doing is, is transformative doesn't really line up or seem that significant when it's put into the grand scheme of things. Well, what are you doing with the other 75%? And, and, and that's what we see a lot of brands doing, isn't it? Focusing on the the tiny percentage of the progress that they are making without really addressing what's going on with the bulk of, 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 of their, of their footprint. Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting issue and we see it happening all the time in, in certain industries where they are, as you say, they're very focused on that small bit that they're doing um, well um, or, where, or where they're improving and not focusing on the rest of it. I mean, I think it's, um, it, there is a, 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 a sort of a principle from in the CMA's Green Claims Code around not omitting um, material information. And in some cases, if you focus only on a very small part of your supply chain or you focus only on a very small part of your business activity and you don't give consumers the kind of the bigger picture piece, you might actually fall foul of consumer protection law. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, if you're saying to business, if you're saying to your customers, 25% of what we're doing is is um, is good or 25% of our products are good. Um, what, what you are allowing from a competitive perspective is you're allowed, allowing consumers to choose that 25% and, and send those signals that actually this is an area that we want to grow and expand into. And, you know, a lot of, you know, it, it's probably quite easy or, or relatively easy if you're a, a brand new startup that doesn't yeah. have anything in place to kind of set things off on the right foot. But when you're trying to, to reverse um, what's been going on in supply chains for, for decades, um, you know, you're not going to be able to do that overnight. But there's a sort of a concept um, emerging of, of radical transparency, but actually just saying to customers, we're no, we know we're not getting everything right, but here are the things we are doing and here are the things that we're still working on. And I think if you give that picture, um, then it's, it's um, you know, it's hard to, to, um, uh, to see that that you would be um, um, 
greenwashing in those circumstances because you are presenting the whole picture. Um, and I think there is some evidence that consumers actually quite like that degree yeah. of transparency as, as a, a means of, of developing trust in a particular brand. Yeah, absolutely. we absolutely need more of that transparency, not less. Let's not let's not just put the headlines out on on that small part when it's it's obvious in some cases that there is a lot of work still to do. And I guess the next question I have is around the wonderful world of online, which is means no borders essentially is is a huge problem as much as it's a benefit um, to be having access to all of this stuff. Um, I saw this week that the uh, the European um, the EU have launched their from March, their Green Claims Initiative. Is there any plans for the CMA to be working with the EU um, so that we can tackle the world of online where the borders kind of get grey? So, I mean, we work a lot with our international counterparts, both within the EU and, and externally. We're engaged in um, conversations with the, the OECD, with the UN, um, and then with individual consumer protection authorities. And certainly, um, you know, we try and keep abreast of what's happening internationally and and, uh, and try to get involved in that collaboration. It's obviously not as straightforward as it used to be. You know, it used to be we had a had a seat at the table for those discussions and that's not the case anymore. Um, but certainly we we as the CMA have continued to maintain close relationships with our, our colleagues in, in Europe. Um, and so I would certainly hope that um, as these initiatives develop, we'll, we'll be doing more. Um, we also work with an, um, uh, an informal network, the International Consumer Protection and Enforcement Network. Um, and that has got about 65 um, authorities and growing from, from around the world. Um, and um, IcePen, um, you might have seen um, back in, I think that was at the end of 2020, we did a, a sweep of um, of businesses, a, a web sweep. So we looked at websites to see who was marketing, who was yeah. making claims. And, and at that time, we found about 40% of, of yeah. businesses were um, making claims that we were suspicious about, not to say that they were all necessarily misleading, but we were suspicious about. Um, and we're continuing to work with partners in, in the network to look for um, examples of misleading claims to, to upskill enforcers around the world so that they can tackle um, misleading claims and, and obviously to, to identify areas where we've got the same business doing the same thing wrong across multiple jurisdictions. Yeah, and 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 it is a it, it's as as Gemma and as you know as as we've said, this is an enormous task, isn't it? It's, you, it's partners around the world, what's happening in the UK. One of the things you said earlier, Cecilia, was also about the responsibility of the communications that that uh, organisations are putting out to the consumer. There is Somebody's got to take the responsibility for that, and the responsibility should ideally be with the brand, the organisation. And of course, that's where it brings in the role of marketing, because when it comes to communications, that's they are often that lens that is uh, between the inside and the outside of the organization and that the the that lens between the consumer and the brand and so you know this podcast is called can marketing save the planet and and we are championing marketers to be more responsible to be aware of of the green claims code to be aware of the implications to be sense checking them you know internally with their whoever it is within that organization and within their supply chains to be looking at is this message responsible does it is it the right thing to be saying how is this i love that you know how is this going to be received by the consumer is a very good question to ask and could it be misleading 
So in your view, where does where where do you feel that the role of that communications and, and marketing comes into play? I mean, it's clear that that it's crucial. Often the, the marketing people and the communications people are the ones formulating the messages. And I know from my from my own experience um, in, in the CMA, you know, what 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 a case team thinks, what an investigation team thinks the messages ought to be aren't necessarily what the, the marketing and the comms people want it, want it to be. Um, so I think for, for marketing and comms, it is really important to make sure that as you're translating the information that you're getting, for example, from your sustainability colleagues, um, that that is being translated into a way that, yes, can be easily understood by consumers, but that also gives them gives consumers the information that they that they need. Um, I'm aware from from previous conversations that um, that, that CIM, CIM has been working on training um, people in sustainability, um, uh, training marketing people yeah. in sustainability, because it is one of these areas where you know previously you could have come up with a come up with a pitch and it probably didn't really matter um, too much um, what, what the underlying science was, but now that's that's not the case, um, and. Uh, and so I, I think, I mean, I, I do think it's it's about um, understanding what it is you're saying, making sure you're saying it in a way that consumers understand, but then also doing that sense check to make sure that consumers aren't taking something away from it that you haven't intended to to convey, because that's where the danger lies. And I think it's really important, isn't it, that um, whilst the Green Claims Code naturally puts a spotlight on marketing, it is regulation for the whole business and the whole business Absolutely. is the one that will be held to account. And I also think that there is also a piece of work, Michelle and I are really driving this and we're really driving this through CIM as well, is that greenwashing goes beyond campaigns. It's not just about the messaging. You can be, you can, you know, greenwashing is around the uh, your, the partners, the people you partner with. It's around, um, there's been examples of organisations who have omitted information around the production um, of their products and only, as we've discussed earlier, talk about that small part that's good, but ignored the part that's clearly either causing drought or or uses, you know, 10 times much more, produces more and more carbon than they're willing to let on. So I guess what would your be, what would be your advice um, to marketers or, or organizations um, who are who are thinking about making green claims? I think the key thing is, is, and I always come back to this, is what evidence do you have before you start making a claim? And, and, and I'm very much a, a believer that people should be talking about what they're doing about sustainability, but actually the, the drive for sustainability, the drive for low carbon should be the driver, not the, not the ability to make a, a claim about it. Um, so, you know, really look at what you're doing, benchmark what you're doing so that you know, you know um, what evidence you have draw your claims from from that evidence and then as things you know if, if you manage to improve further you can always go back and look again at the evidence and say you know can we now say more than than we did previously so it always comes back to what what evidence you have of of how you are performing at the moment i think that's really really good piece of advice because if you're going to make a green claim to sell more you're not actually being sustainable it's almost counterproductive isn't it to the whole rule of sustainability and somebody sent me an article yesterday saying sustainability skills have become the fourth key core pillar of skills that we need moving forward so you know I think 
or as, as we're driving, awareness and understanding of the challenge that we all face is absolutely key. And the only way we're going to tackle anything and change the course we're on is through collaborative working and working together to push in the same direction. So, Cecilia, we like to ask all our guests the same three quick fire questions at the end of each of our podcasts. So question number one to you is, can marketing save the planet? Um, I have my doubts. <laughs> um, and the, the reason I say that is, is not because I have anything against marketing per se, but actually one of the things that we really need to shift towards is sustainable consumption. And I think um, as long as we are pushing people to buy stuff, even if all of that stuff itself is produced in an environmentally friendly way, um, if people are buying more than they need, we're always going to end up back where we started. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm slightly sceptical about that, but uh, I'll I'll, um, <laughs> I'll remain open to the possibility. <laughs> yeah. Responsible marketing, we talk about taking, you know, really educating and encouraging organisations to be thinking about that. It's not just about grow more, have more, do more. You yeah. know, what what else? It's it's transformational to business, really. Um, yeah. Is, is I mean, what is key. There is a there is a you know a massive opportunity because one of the things that we need to do and and I don't want to suggest that this is all on the heads of consumers but one of the things we definitely need to do is to educate consumers about yeah. the need for them to to consume in a sustainable way absolutely um, so so there is definitely a role there for you know uh, and and the reach obviously that marketing has yeah. um, is far greater than any um, government run consumer education program yeah. so um, you know there there is definitely an opportunity there to to nudge consumers in the right direction and make sure that they are starting to think about sustainable consumption yeah absolutely and and if if products and services were different then consumers wouldn't be able to consume them in the way that they are right now. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's supply and demand, isn't it? But it's about responsible business and responsible consumption meeting. Um, yes. You know, if there were no plastic bags in the shops, nobody would use a plastic bag. But who's supplying yeah. the plastic bags and the consume the the grocers will say, oh, well, we need to because there's a demand from the from the, uh, you know, from the consumers. But actually, if there were no plastic bags, the consumers would just take their reusable bags and 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 we'd be done with it. So, you know, that's that's the challenge in a in a very um, potted way. Question number two we ask is, what do you hope business looks like, Cecilia, in 10 years' time? Um, I think I would love to see business focused less on, on growth and more on um, contributing to um, a, a positive society, you know, where, where well-being, um, you know, in individual well-being and, um, and planetary well-being were kind of the, the at the forefront of people's people's minds so I guess finding a way to measure things other than other than growth and and profits absolutely and I think um I know the answer to this one but if you were to give one piece of advice or to others around getting started with sustainable marketing what would it be get your evidence together (laughs) absolutely absolutely yes evidence 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 not campaign Um, campaign campaign no Think about what you're saying and make sure you have evidence around everything you say. Well, Cecilia, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. 